I'm Cody Shepard. I'm the student pastor here, and I get to speak with you this morning, which is fun. As a student pastor, I can do some things maybe Greg can't do on stage, so we're going to have a little fun today. Uh, we're going to start off with a couple pictures. How many of you have ever seen one of those 3D magic eye posters, also known as a stereogram? We're going to put one up. It's going to be impossible probably for you to be able to see up here, but you maybe know what I'm talking about when this picture is up here. Uh, there's, it's just a pattern, and if you look at it, the, the idea is you have one of these posters or whatever, and you kind of stare at it long enough, you focus at a point beyond the poster, and all of a sudden, a 3D image kind of starts coming out at you. Have any of you ever done this before? Raise your hand if you've ever, have you ever seen the image on there? Okay, some of you have done this before, but it's like, I have never seen the image on there. I had never had until about four weeks ago. I did this uh, sort of thing for some of the students, and I was like trying to find some of these, and all of a sudden, for the first time ever, I could see them, and it was awesome. It was like this image that would just kind of come out at you. And if you've done it before, if you've been able to see the image, that, the 3D image that's on these, and by the way, this is an ichthus. I know you guys are probably like, what is it, what is it? This is an ichthus. Um, once you see it, once your eyes focus in the area that it's supposed to, is honest, all of a sudden, it's hard not to see it. You're right? Have you, have you guys seen that before? So all of a sudden it comes out and then your eyes find the right spot and then it's hard not to see it, okay? We're gonna do another one. This is a totally different thing. This is a Where's Waldo. You guys ever done a Where's Waldo? These things are awesome. It's also gonna be hard to find, but I'm gonna give you guys just a few seconds to see if you can find Waldo on this image. Okay, some of you think, <laughs> you guys are getting into this. I like this. I'm seeing like, pew, pew, pew. all right, it, right there, that is Waldo, okay? So let me go back. Let, let's go back a picture. Now let's see. Can you see Waldo now? Isn't that amazing? After you've seen where he is, it's kind of hard not to see him. Here's the thing is, when you've seen something, it's hard, if not impossible, to unsee it. Let's do another thing. We're going to do some music now, okay? We've got a couple songs here for you, and I have a feeling that you're going to know some of the words to these songs, and you're going to know who sang them and stuff. So we'll, we'll test you. We'll see how good you are. Here's the first song. Feel free to join in and sing if you want. Now, here we go, everybody. <laughs> okay, so who was who sings that song? Neil Diamond, what was the name of the song? Hey, you guys know this song. Wow, it's mess impressive. Okay, here, I got another one. We'll see. Uh, this is a little bit newer than that. Uh, we'll see how well you guys do on this song. It's fun being on stage watching you guys do this. This is good. Hey, 
Okay, how many of you knew that song? What's, what, who sings that one? Smash Mouth, name of the song. All-star, good job. How many of you knew the words for both songs, all of them? Yeah, it's kind of crazy how sometimes when you hear something, it's really hard to unhear it. In fact, I've got a bunch of little kids at home, and uh, man, there are some earworms. That's why I call them earworm songs, and they get stuck in your head, and you're singing them for five days even though you don't like the song, okay? <laughs> that happens, right? It's amazing how that happens. And here's what, um, here's what we see. Sometimes when you see something, you can't unsee it. In fact, a lot of times, and sometimes it's impossible no matter how hard you try. Sometimes you hear something and you can't unhear it. But here's the thing also is sometimes we are told we're convinced of something. When, when we're convinced of something, when we're told of something, we should never forget it. And that's what First John talks about is he's saying this. He's saying he's actually writing this book to people who have become Christian. They have not grown up Jewish. They have become Christian. And people are asking this question. They're saying, how do I know that I'm following in the right way? How do I know that I'm really uh, living the way that God wants me to live? How do I know that I'm saved? And John just makes it very clear. He says, he, he's writing to them and he says this, we have, there's some of us who have seen and we can't unsee what we've seen. We've seen Jesus. We have heard him and we can't unhear what he has said. And because we are convinced of these things, we are going to convince you. We're going to let you know. We're going to let you know what we know. So that way you can also be convinced and know these things as well. In 1 John 5.13, he says this, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. There's a guy named John Coulter in history. How many of you have ever heard of John Coulter? Any of you? Oh, some of you have. I'm impressed. That's pretty good. Uh, uh, he was in the early 1800s, and he's famous for a few things. He was, uh, as a young guy, he went on the Lewis and Clark expedition, and went. Uh, he was one of their main guys, the most trusted guys. He would go ahead and, and do some of the scouting. He would hunt the food. He would uh, talk with some of, some of the Native Americans in the area and kind of just prep the area. He was one of the few who got to go to the ocean all the way and see the ocean on the Pacific side. And then he, he got done with that, and he, he came back, and he did some trapping and stuff for a while, and he became what's known as the, the very first ever mountain man. Okay, he would go out for months at a time into the mountains all by himself and just live off of the, the, the area. And he's the first white person to be able to go into Yellowstone and the Tetons. Uh, in fact, if you go to the Yellowstone, I think there's a place there called Coulter's Hell because he went and he saw this and he told about it later. But there's another thing that John Coulter is actually famous for. He, uh, he and a friend of his, excuse me, a friend of his named John Potts uh, started in Montana and worked their way down the Missouri River. They were trapping, and uh, they got into this area that, is, uh, that was uh, territorial to the Blackfoot Native Americans. And uh, he knew that uh, even though he was friends with a lot of the other Native American tribes around the area, but this, this group was a warring tribe, and he was nervous about them. And sure enough, him and Potts got captured right off the river by some of the Blackfoot warriors that were there. And uh, Potts resisted and very quickly was filled with arrows. And Coulter knew, well, that's not a good option. I better, I better listen to them. And so he went to the shore. And immediately upon going to shore, they stripped him down naked. 
And they decided what they were trying to decide what they were going to do with him. And being a warring group, and they had a bunch of young warriors with them, they decided they were going to make practice of him uh, to kind of train some of their young warriors. And so finally, the leaders decided what they were going to do. And they took uh, John and moved him about 400 yards ahead of 600 Blackfoot warriors. And he went ahead of them and he got down, the leader got down and drew a line in the sand. And John Coulter knew what this meant. He'd, he'd, he'd heard about this before and he knew that what was going to happen is that in a few moments he was going to be able to go across this line and there's going to be 600 warriors behind him that can be chasing him and going to be trying to kill him. He knew that he could stay where he was, but if he stayed where he was, he was already dead. His only chance was to step across that line and go. If you ask a person in America, are you going to heaven? By the way, I will pick up that story later. I don't want you to be like wondering what happens. Um, if you ask an average person in America, are you going to heaven? What do you think the normal response is? Probably yes or yeah, I, th I think so, right? That's a lot of it. Yeah, I, I think so. And then you ask why it's, oh, because I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, right? That's what a lot of people will say. Yeah, I think so, because I'm a pretty good person. And man, think about this. You're talking heaven and hell, eternity. And we're putting it in this, yeah, I think so, because I'm a pretty good person. Boy, that's a, that's, I, that's a scary place to be, isn't it? Not knowing that, and, and John is saying, I don't want to give that. I, don't, I want to give you some hope. I want you to know something for sure. Francis Chan, if you've ever heard of him, he does this object lesson that I'm going to do this morning. And I need five volunteers actually to come on stage. Okay, Kylie, you can come on up. Don't worry, you don't have to say anything. I'm just going to use you and uh, placing you on some different places. Okay, come on up. Here you go. Come on up on stage. Anybody else? If not, okay, you can come on up. You can come on up. All right, there, there we got, we got our five. Thank you. I didn't have to start voluntelling people, voluntold, that's what I say. I was, I know I was going to start having to grab people in the front. Okay, so here's what we've got. Uh, we've got five people. Thank you guys for offering, and uh, don't worry, I won't embarrass you or make you do any weird, I won't do any magic tricks or anything like that. Um, but ultimately, we have, uh, I'm going to have them be representative of some things. Over here, let me find my ultimate good, okay? Ultimate good, only Jesus is really ultimately good, right? So I'm going to let Chris, because he's such a, a good person, I want to represent, he's going to represent somebody that you think is a very good person, okay? Uh, somebody like just a, a celebrity or somebody that's well known to everybody. Who is somebody that you can think of that would be, that would be really good? Mother Teresa, okay? I had a feeling it was going to be one of two, Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. That was my guess is one of those two. That's exactly right. So you look very, and no, I'm just kidding. You're not, doesn't look feminine at all, but, uh, but you get to be representative of Mother Teresa, okay? So where would uh, Mother Teresa be in proximity to this? Pretty good, right? I mean, about as holy as you can get without being Jesus, you would think. I mean, at least that's what we think about, okay? On the other end over here, um, I'm sorry, you're going to have to be the ultimate bad, but I don't, we don't really think about you as that, okay? But think about who is the ultimate bad person you can think of, not Satan, 
Hitler, I knew that was the one. I was going to be the one. Sorry. I don't think of you as this, as this at all, but you get to represent that. Okay. Three other people that you can think of, just some celebrities. Okay. Just give me some, a name that you can think of. I don't care who it is. I can, I can give some if you need me to. Madonna. Madonna. Okay. You get to be Madonna here. Okay. Okay. Now, um, you guys point, let me know on this scale where she should go as far as good to bad. Okay. Everybody help. Okay. There's a lot of pointing this way. Okay. You let me know when to stop. Okay. Start. Okay. We're going close. Okay. Right here. Okay. Back this way a little bit. Not quite Hitler. Right. Okay. Right in there. Okay. So you're not quite Hitler. Okay. Um, all right. What, what's another celebrity? Patrick Mahomes. You want to be Patrick Mahomes? All right, sweet. Okay, now give me which way. Okay, everybody's wanting this way. Okay, everybody's saying, oh, some, oh, some Bronco fans are saying the other way. Okay, so we'll put Patrick Mahomes right in here. That's pretty good. Okay, one more. Tim Tebow. Ooh, you get to be the ultimate stud. In fact, you could strike this pose if you, I'm just kidding. You don't have to. Yeah, there we go. Okay, which way Tim Tebow? Okay, oh, wow. Yeah, everybody's like, yep. Him and him and Mother Teresa right next to each other. Okay, back this way a little bit. Okay. All right. Looks good. Awesome. Now I want you to think about where would you be on this if if you were to put yourself? Where would you place yourself on this spectrum of things? And then let me ask you this: where does this line go? Heaven and hell. Where does the line of heaven and hell go? Does it go? I mean, Patrick Mahomes for sure makes it, right? It's right in here? Or is it, maybe he doesn't quite make the cut? Oh, no, no, you make the cut. Sorry, there you go. You're good. Okay. You guys, good job. Give him a hand. Thanks for doing that. Here's the thing about this line. It's interesting that it can be a very subjective line. What somebody over here might think that line should be, somebody over here might think it should be in a different place. You understand how it can be really confusing and this whole, yeah, I think so because I'm a pretty good person. And yet the Bible is very, very clear that this line goes right here. Even Mother Teresa doesn't make the cut. That's a pretty hard line. You might say, that's not really fair. It's impossible. But that's what Jesus says. Romans 3.23 confirms this. It says, for all have sinned, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. God has drawn a line in the sand and he makes it very clear where we stand. Can any of us in this room ever say that we are ultimately good people? No, we can't. Pretty good doesn't cut it. You ever cheated on a test even once? Sorry, you didn't make the cut. Ever uh, had lustful thoughts? Sorry, you, you're not in. You ever intentionally withheld, withheld truth from someone to help your situation? Sorry, you just don't cut it. God has given us guidelines for his glorious standard for eternal life. And yet we see in 1 John, it says, once again, looking back at it, it says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. How is it possible that we can know, not think, that we are able to cross over that line and be on the good side. If anybody can achieve ultimate good, 
then why do we even, if nobody can, sorry, achieve ultimate good, then why do we even have these standards of the law of God in the first place if it's so impossible? Here's the purpose of the line. I'm going to use another analogy. Here's sports. Um, how many of you have played sports, uh, sports of different kinds? Football, some of you played football, some of you played volleyball. Every sport that we have, there are, there are rules, there are guidelines, there are parameters. There's some physical ones, whether you step onto a field, there's a parameter of play. And some of them are non-visual or non-physical things, like guidelines and rules for gameplay. And those rules are there to be able to help gameplay, to, to help make sure that things are fair for everybody, that everybody's on the same page, and it allows for good play. And um, th this law is, is just the boundaries for proper play. However, just like football, the law is not the focus of the game, right? I mean, would a football coach ever put you on the field and say, you know what? I don't care if you, if you make a yard, just don't create a foul. Don't, don't, no penalty, right? Would anybody, would a coach ever want you on the field if that's all you did was didn't make a penalty? No. If you were playing pickup basketball or playing basketball, I mean, a coach would never say, hey, go out there. I don't care if you go and sit in the corner the whole game. Just don't foul anybody, right? No, it's never going to happen. Or volleyball, the coach is not going to say, hey, just pull your chair up out, out there. Just make sure you don't run into the net, okay? That's not going to happen. The coach doesn't, the, the, the purpose of the game is not just to live by the rules. It's to play the game, but the rules make sure that the proper gameplay happens. Have you ever played a game where you either make up the rules as you go, or you maybe play a pickup basketball game and there's no ref, and before long you realize that it's all just kind of subjective? It can get really frustrating because there hasn't been a standard by which we can play the game. And here's how I see it spiritually. I see it this way. I'm going to grab another thing. This is our line. Here's how I see it spiritually. I think there's a lot of people who are apart from God, and they will look at this line. And they may not like it at first, but they will see somebody over on that side of the line. They're going to say, you know what? Man, that person, I really respect them. I don't like how it, how it is living over here uh, where the anarchy and we kind of create our own rules. But I like how this person is living over there. And my guess is that with you being in the blue seats here, that you have all had somebody in your life who has been an example and you say, I want to be like that person. That is the person I want to live my life like. And that person, because of their faith, because of the way they lived their lives, they were an example. And you came to a point where maybe you said, maybe ask them, how do I live like that? It could be a parent, it could be a grandparent, a friend. I don't know who it is, but maybe it's even a celebrity. But you looked and you say, I want to live like that. I want to be like that. And so you ask those questions. How do I get over there? And um, you see the joy that's in their lives. And what it does is by doing that, um, and, and they will tell you about the cross of Christ. And, and I represent over here, we actually have a cross on the wall. So I'm just going to kind of use that. So we see here, we see this line, we see these guidelines, these regulations, not really regulations, just they're, they're, um, they're ways, uh, smart ways to live, things that God has put in his law. And so we see those things and we see Jesus beyond those things. 
we see that he is the way, and we're told that he is the way to cross over this line. So we cross over this line, we accept Jesus, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. We cross over this line. And here's what Galatians says. In Galatians 3.19, it says, Why then was the law given? It just it, it lays it out really easily here. Uh, it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. So what the law does is it draws a line in the sand. It says, here's where you should be, but you can't do it on your own. So the line is here to let us know that we need somebody beyond ourselves to be able to get over here. It is impossible on our own. So what happens is the line lets us realize our own sin. And because of the line, the law points us to someone beyond itself. It points us to the cross of Jesus. So what is this promise that was mentioned? The promise is the redemption of ourselves through the blood of Christ. Let me keep on reading there. Let's look at verse 21. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. 1 John says it this way in chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. What we see here is the promise of God is that if we believe and receive Jesus, there's an amazing transaction that takes place. I get what he deserves, and I get to be on this side of the line, and he gets what we deserve. He takes my place over there. It's an amazing transaction that play, takes place. However, I find it interesting that here's one thing that happens to a lot of people once we cross this line. We turn and look at the line. And here's what I mean by this. There's usually one of two things that happens. It's people who will do this because they just, they know where they were and they don't want to go back. They want to keep sin away. So they're kind of playing this game of just trying to keep sin away. I don't want to go back. Have you ever played tag where you have a line in between? You know, if you're on the wrong side, you get captured and then you're in trouble. Have you ever played it like then somebody will come and all of a sudden you didn't realize it and they'll, they'll pull you across? It's like all of a sudden you're getting pulled across, you're on the bad side and you're caught. And the dangerous thing about being here on this line is that exact thing, is that it's a dangerous place to be because it's so easy to get pulled back over. So the first thing is somebody is either trying to just keep sin away, but the problem is they're so preoccupied now still with their sin. And the other thing is that sometimes people will start asking questions like this. Well, I'm on the good side. I've got grace. So, I mean, do I really have to be over there? I can, I can be right here, right? I mean, how good do I really have to be? Or how bad can I be without actually going on that side of the line? And they live in this dangerous place and they ask questions like this. Really, how far can I go with my girlfriend before I'm over on that side? I mean, what really constitutes cheating on my marriage? Or how about, I mean, everybody fudges numbers a little bit, right, in business? Don't you find it a bit crazy? that we've been given a pardon from this, and the first thing we do sometimes is turn around and be legalistic and look at all this. And the whole time we've turned our backs on Jesus. It's amazing how kind of things work themselves out 
when we instead decide to turn and look at Jesus and stop focusing on that. God wants us to run free. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. See, it is the law here that draws the line. And it lets us know that we can't get over here by ourselves and we need God to do that. We need Christ's blood to do that. But because we realize this is not ours, we haven't gotten this by our own. We haven't crossed over by our own. I hope you know this, that this is not, not actually the finish line. This is the starting line. So many of us can think that we've crossed over and we're over here, and so now I'm good. I can just sit and be happy and do what I want. And what Jesus is saying with his life, he's saying, turn and follow me. Just because you've crossed this line doesn't mean you're there yet. It means you're just getting started. I'm going to go back to the story of John Coulter, okay? John Coulter knew he was in trouble. He had this line that he needed to cross. And he knew that immediately after crossing this line, there was going to be 600 warriors chasing him. But it was his only chance at life. Otherwise, if he didn't cross, he was going to be dead already. And he knew that if he had, if he had turned and was trying to fight away the warriors as they ran at him, he wouldn't last long. And he knew that if he, if he ran uh, just looking back the whole time, that he wouldn't be able to run very fast. And so Coulter ran with absolutely everything he had. He was a pretty athletic sort of guy, but the odds of outrunning 600 trained warriors, or at least uh, training warriors, was ridiculous. However, because Coulter knew that it was a uh, run for life and death, uh, he ran and pushed himself harder than he ever had before. Uh, before, after a little while, his nose and mouth started gushing blood. Uh, it was starting to cover his chest and his arms. And after a, a good distance, he realized that the thundering noise that he'd been hearing behind him had grown to only just a few noises behind him. And so he took a quick glance over his shoulder and realized that there was really only one warrior who had a chance at him still. It was about 100 yards away. So he kept running and kept running. And then the, that noise kept getting a little bit louder and louder. And he took a glance back over and realized this warrior was only about 10 yards away, running at him with a spear. And so Coulter did what was kind of crazy. He all of a sudden just stopped and turned around. And he's covered in blood, so I'm sure it was a pretty impressive sight to that warrior. But the warrior all of a sudden tried to catch himself and, and grab his spear all at the same time, and he just wasn't prepared for this. And he tripped, and the spear broke, and he fell down. And John Coulter picked up the spear, made work of the warrior, and kept running. He made it to a river. And when we got to the river, he decided to go down the river a little bit, and then he saw a raft of driftwood, not, I mean, one where just a bunch of driftwood had kind of piled up. And he dove underneath this raft and found a little spot where he could stick his head up in and breathe for a while. And all day he heard warriors going up and down this river, even over top of the raft that he was underneath, thinking that at any point he could get caught. But at, under the guise of night, he slips underneath the raft. He goes down the river for a while. And seven days later, a naked still bruised, beaten up John Coulter 
found his way to freedom in, in the fort of St. Louis. By keeping his eyes ahead, John had made his way to freedom. He had found his way to life. It may be hard for you to believe, but I actually was a track person at one point. I was. I, was, I did the long jump. I did the 4 by 100 meter dash. I did the 4 by 400 meter dash. And because I think my track coach hated me, he put me in the 400 meter dash open. A 400 meter dash has to be one of the worst races ever invented because it's still a sprint. It's one time all the way around the track. And then try doing that when you're six, five foot seven on a good day, five foot six, and you're running against people who are like six foot four. Okay. Now, I'm not anywhere near as good as David Brown, who's one of the best in the state, by the way. Um, I'm not anywhere near him, but I was in a smaller school, and I got to where I could figure out how to run the 400 pretty good. I would, uh, I would use my short legs to my advantage. I'd get out of the blocks, and the first turn is that curve. And so I would, get to a, I would use my legs to my advantage. I'd lean into the inside of the lane of the curve, and I would run it really quick. And I would get a, 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 little, a bit, bit of a lead there, and then I'd get out to that straightaway, and I would stretch out my legs as far as I could. And then I'd get to the next curve, and I'd once again lean into it, try to use my short legs to my advantage, kind of catapult myself around that curve. But then... I would come to that final straightaway. This, this is the horrible straightaway. You, you're about 75 meters from the end and this exhaustion wall hits you. And you have a choice. Do I just give up here or do I keep pushing through? And the thing that I learned, and this made the difference for me, is the only way I could make it through that wall of exhaustion is look forward at the finish line. It would tell me a couple important things. It would let me know that this pain is only gonna last forever and that I'm gonna be able to get to where I wanna be. I'm gonna be able to finish what I want to finish. And sometimes people would pass me, sometimes they wouldn't, but every time I crossed that finish line without giving up, every time I ultimately got where I wanted to end up. So what we need to do is keep our eyes on the prize, our eyes on the finish line. Paul used the same terminology of running when he was spurring on some fellow believers of Christ who had grown weary and who had lost focus on their spiritual run. And here's what he says in Galatians chapter 5, 7 through 8. He says, You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. John makes it very clear that what it takes, what it means to run the life, run the race in 1 John. He references three things that we're going to look at really, really quick, quickly. That should be actively visible in your life because they were actively a part of Jesus' life. Just like when I would turn and see that, that finish line, these are the things that we can focus on and we can see in our own lives. In 1 John 5, 6 through 12, here's what it says. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit who is truth, and you notice in that previous verse that we just said, he referenced um, who has kept you from following the truth. Here it's saying, and the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. So we have a couple words here that we see. One is testimony, one is witness. Testimony is this churchy word that we use a lot of the time. A lot of times we refer to it as God's story in our lives, okay? Uh, this, what we're looking at here is really kind of a courtroom scene, we're looking here that we've got uh, witnesses and we've got testimony, which is a, a sworn statement that is confirming a story. And so what these things are saying is that 
we have this testimony that is given by these witnesses. And let's go on to read this. It says here uh, in verse 9, Since we believe in human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. John is saying this. God revealed his Son. He revealed his son through the baptism that Jesus never had to do because he was the only one who was ultimately good, but he chose to do it because he wanted to obey his father. And he, he revealed his son through the sacrifice that he made, taking care of the, the sin issue in our lives if we choose to accept him. And his spirit is, is alive as well. And what, if you want to know that you, God's thumbprint is on your life, his identity is in you, Look at these things, these same three things. Have you chosen, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that he lived a perfect life, died, and three days later defeated death, rising again? Because there's a lot of people who are going to say that, no, nah, it didn't really happen that way. Are you, do you believe it, and are you convinced of it? What does it show in your life? How does that show out? Have you made the choice to commit your life to him in baptism? It's a very important step. Baptism is referenced here. It's very black and white. It's very contrasting. And here's what it's saying is that baptism is an important step in your faith journey because it lets you not only wash clean, but it also says, I'm committed. So that, that blood, seeing Jesus' blood, is kind of that initial step on the journey. The next step, like I said there, is committing. And then the last one is, are you living by the Spirit? Have you received the Spirit in your life? And are you listening? Are you, are you choosing to, to listen to the Spirit in your life? Those things should be active in our lives. There's going to be a song that they're going to sing. It's a special. And it's a very neat song. And it's just going to, the words, I encourage you just to listen to the words. And it's going to be talking about this important step of baptism. And then I'm going to come back up in just a little bit. But please, maybe just uh, listen to the words as, as they sing it. Once you have seen something, it is hard to unsee it. Once you have heard something, it's hard to unhear it. Once you are convinced of something, once you have been told something, make sure you don't forget it. Make sure you don't, make sure you don't forget it. Make the choice today. Don't be deceived. Make the choice. Maybe, it's, maybe you need to make that choice for the first time ever. You're, you're saying, I, I know that I am not perfect. I'm not even Mother Teresa perfect. Yeah, it's close. I need Jesus. I need his blood on my life. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you realize you've never really accepted that before. And I encourage you to talk. Talk to somebody. Find the answers. I'd love to talk to you after this. Maybe you, you realize I, I've, I've made the choice, I believe in Jesus, but I really have never fully committed myself to him. I haven't made the choice to go in the water. 
I haven't made the choice to become clean. And if Jesus did it and he was perfect, then I probably better do it too. I'd love to talk with you about that as well. Or maybe you're, you're a person, you, you said, you know, I, I, I've done those things, but I've just kind of been living my own life. I've turned my life, I've turned around and I've just been looking at the line, seeing how close I can get to the other side or just trying to keep sin away. But what I haven't done is I haven't turned to Jesus and removed the distractions or the things that will try to knock me down and just focused on him, listening to the spirit. I haven't been listening to the spirit of God in my life and the calling that he has given to me. I want to read this really quick. 1 John 5, 18 through 21. This is the last thing, I promise. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God, God's son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the one true God, and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, whatever step we need to be making this morning, I pray that we, we aren't afraid to do it. If we haven't stepped on that playing field yet, that spiritual playing field, Lord, I pray that we cross that line and we get in the game. Because if we don't step across that line, we're already dead. And Lord, I pray that we learn to, to live, to play the game wisely, live life wisely within the, the guidelines that you have given us to give us freedom, to give us life. John 10, 10 says, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. And Lord, that is what we seek. And we get that when we commit ourselves to you and we listen in response to the Spirit. And it is not an easy journey, but it is one that is so fulfilling. And so, Lord, for anybody out there, I pray that whatever you're speaking into their hearts and their, their lives right now, Lord, I pray that they have the boldness to respond and to speak to someone this morning about it, not to wait. Because, Lord, you are calling each and every one of us out on this great journey to cross that starting line and to keep our eyes focused on the finish line. Help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.